Sorry, that's my son in the background. Uh, how old is how old is he? Uh, he's a year now. A year, okay. Yeah, he's uh feeding him right now because uh, my wife is out shopping and <laughs> I'm... Oh, I see you're so you're multitasking, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> Funny thing about uh Richie, when uh actually when Noah was born, uh Bo actually commented saying welcome to the world. Oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I'm not going to lie, I read that when he posted it, I read it in the voice of Jet Black. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. Welcome to the world. Where's Spike? <laughs> well, it, it's been about a year or so since I've seen him. I don't know. I have to ask. <laughs> no, uh, we interviewed uh, Mary Elizabeth Glenn, McGlynn last year at okay. AWA. And then, uh, and then you know, after the interview, uh, uh, Steve came in. I was like, oh, man, Steve. Like, I hadn't seen him in forever. Uh, yeah, it had been a few years because, you know, this side of the country. But, uh, yeah, it, over in the southeast, and I was like, oh, man. But it was it was cool because, like, we talked a little bit about voiceover, but a lot of it was us talking about D&D because, you know, she was she was on Critical Role. And I was right. like, yay! <laughs> and she looked like she had so much. Like, what things did you take away from that? Like, you know, how how much fun was it to to kind of play a character that you got to create versus somebody had created for you, you know, right, like, yeah, what are the special. differences? Yeah. And she's like, yeah, it definitely means more to you. And, and, and we got to talking about like how, how D and D and acting kind of correlate in a way, like how they kind of, what, how they, how they kind of benefit each other in, in certain ways, because there's a lot of people in the acting community that kind of came up on D and D and they and they talked about like a lot of the things that they learned about like human emotion and behavior or just general emotion and behavior was kind of a lot through that. So we talked a bit about that. It was kind of a, it was a really cool conversation. We got to nerd out about stuff like uh, just on the acting side and on the, and on the actual geek side and stuff like that. So. Right. Well, they're two cool folks. I mean, they're just wonderful human beings. Yeah. Both of them. Joining us as he's driving back. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Be careful in traffic, especially LA traffic. Oh boy. Well, it's not too bad now because a lot of people haven't been going out as much, so we can right. get around town. You can get around LA much faster than we could a, a while back before right. the, the virus. You know. Right, I don't yeah. think I've been to LA since Anime Expo 2017. Wow. 2017. Okay. When was when when were we at uh, X, AX together? That was the last time I was in LA too. That was like. Um, that was 2012. 12? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, eight years. Wow. Funny story. Time I, flies. I actually, time yeah, first time I met right. you, Bo, was actually at Anime Los Angeles okay. when they had uh, the entire cast for Cowboy Bebop. Oh, there. we had the, yeah, yeah, that was a, that was pretty special. We had that emotional event with that woman who came when they had open mic mm. and they, uh, she came and ex explained that she was in a very, very deep depression and that she was contemplating and taking her own life. And oh, her, man. Her, her, her friend uh, suggested Cowboy Bebop. And, and she she could hardly get the story out. I don't know if you were there. It was in the main room there. It was even when we had the panel. And I don't know, it was two or 3,000 people. And she uh, she she had the, 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 um, the nerve to actually get up in front of that mic and express that very personal 
experience, you know. Okay. It's and, a, then, and, then, and then we all went down and gave her a circle hug. I don't know if you were nice. there, but and we were all weeping. It was it was a very emotional time, and that's one of the highlights of my um, c- convention experiences. How's everybody and funny, doing? And funny thing is, this is sort of my wedding gift in a way to Nathan because he's getting married in a few weeks. Oh, <laughs> that's cool. Congratulations. Specifically, too. This is it's getting really close. <laughs> okay, so yeah, let's get a little jittery, are you? <laughs> oh, extremely. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Gamer News Radio. Today we have the legendary voice actor Bo Billingsley on. Wait, Hello, everybody. For those of you who don't know, who don't know who he is, there's three legendary roles he he's played. He has played everyone knows knows him as Jet Black from Cowboy Bebop. Uh, he's done the Raikage from Naruto, and he's also Barrett Jackson. No, not Barrett Jackson. He is uh, Barrett, Barrett from uh, yeah Barrett Wallace. I don't know why I was thinking Barrett Jackson. I must have been watching the car show. Uh, Barrett <laughs> Barrett Wallace from the Final Fantasy VII series. So, Mr. Billingsley, how are you doing? I'm doing great, considering uh, the con- the state of everything in the world and in our country. But, yeah, I'm, personally, everything is going really well for us. We're staying healthy. The family's staying healthy and, and uh, moving along, you know, doing working from home. I just shot a, an on-camera commercial uh, a week or so ago with the um, director who directed uh, I, Tanya. Uh, Gillespie is his is his name and uh, Craig Gillespie and so that was a lot that was that was a lot of fun we we shot at uh, Malibu Lake and the last time I was at Malibu Lake I was doing an episode of A Team you remember that show mm-hmm. or you heard of it maybe if you yes. haven't seen it. Oh. Uh, I pity the fool that I hadn't heard of that. I pity the fool. I pity the fool. There was, I got to tell you uh, there was a scene that we did. On that, I did two episodes of A Team. That that particular episode, I was the main bad guy, and ah. so the A Team did everything to me. Uh, T knocked me out with one punch, and um, they uh, I was chased by a bear. I had to jump out the window of the cabin. I was uh, fire extinguished with whipped cream on the stairwell, <laughs> and I was hogtied. <laughs> but one, I was steam. You remember they had those steamers where you get in the steamer. And up to your neck, and they just pump they pump heat in, and you, you know you're supposed to lose weight. So the only mm-hmm. thing that's sticking out is your head. Oh yeah, remember so, those? Yeah. So they, they the A team was all around me, and every you know there'd be a line here. George prepared to have a line, and then you know line here, line there. Whenever it came to T's line, the scene would stop. So the director said, "Cut, cut." You know who was Jimmy Darren, by the way, the senior mm-hmm. singer from way back. And he said, "T, you're killing me. You're killing me." And so T said, "I, I know my lines." I just don't know when to say them. (laughs) 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 And and so I was, I was sweating bullets because they were, that was, that thing was running. You know, I mean, it wasn't like they were running that thing. I was sweating bullets. So, So I said, T. Help a brother out here, man. I'm dying in here. He said, I got you, bro. I got you, bro. I got you. you know, say you, and they only had a couple of lines. That's the way they wrote this show. And he was he was mostly mostly uh, visual candy for people, right? Right. And uh, and uh, so they didn't write many lines for him. So I said, T, you don't have but two lines, man. Come on. 
<laughs> but it was a, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. So anyway, do, shooting that commercial last week uh, brought back a, a lot of fond memories of the A team shooting mm-hmm. that episode of A team because it was it was really a, an awful lot of an awful lot of fun. Which that kind of brought me to my next question. Um, you you said you shot an at home ad. So how are you guys? How are you and you know all the other voice actors coping with this? you know, the stay at home orders. Well, we're lucky because, uh, you know, we can work from home. Mm-hmm. That's the, uh, that's the beautiful thing about it. And they are shooting some co- on camera commercials at people's homes, but, uh, but that's a lot, obviously a lot more complicated, but with, uh, uh, uh source connect and, and, uh, connection, uh, and, and when I think the list, we have the ability to continue working from home, which is really, it's a big, it's a big deal. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a big deal that people, especially the younger people, I mean, if financially I'm okay, you know, I really don't have to work, but a lot of the younger people obviously do. And, uh, so it's nice that at least that portion of the show business has, is intact and, uh, people are still, are still working. You know, the poor stage actors, uh, that's unfortunate. Um, actually, I did a, a, a reading of a, of a play last night um, uh, and a Zoom reading. And, of course, that's the, I guess that's the closest we can come to a live uh, stage play. But, so the, uh, the stage actors are, are suffering as well as, the, you know, the screen actors because it's not, you know, a lot of the TV shows aren't back. They aren't filming. Uh, so, you know, we just have to see, see how it how it plays out but it's it's really hit our business pretty hard like like so many others i mean we're not unique in that way i've seen a lot of uh i've seen a lot of my friends who do voiceover work in la and in dallas like uh converting their like houses or like their closets or like a spare bedroom into like a recording setup and everything there's there's been a lot there's been an uptick uh there's been a big uptick in like diy booths <laughs> lately yeah and that's yeah. been part of it i i was fortunate enough that um when it came to uh my recording space i have a loft bed and like all my equipment and stuff is underneath my bed and i've got like comforters on the sides and and some oh, uh, some acoustic foam on the back. So, you know, I, I was already working from home because it was just easier because I live kind of in like the rural area. But it's one of those things that I've had a lot of uh, I've had a lot of friends contact me about that. They're like, hey, you record from home. What's your setup like? Blah, blah, blah. You know, so mm-hmm. it uh, definitely saw more of an uptick as people were like moving from studio to home right but yeah and, and i'm work from home i still have to deal with people whenever i go to work oh no <laughs> yeah. but i mean i mean i i made the joke a while back with my mom because you know my mom's worried she calls me up and she's you know just checking in on me she's like are you doing okay and i'm like mom i'm an introvert i've been preparing for this my entire life oh. uh, <laughs> didn't even know uh, but i was already prepared but yeah but like yeah there's there's been that kind of a um a feeling and that's been another thing that's really really cool and shows like just I, I don't know how it is with so many other different ones, but typically my experience with the voiceover community has been that they they typically will look out for one another. I mean, there there are there are ones outside of that, but typically the overall is like there's a there's a positive vibe within the voiceover community where they're like if you come asking for advice, they're willing to offer advice and help you out with stuff. Yeah, that's definitely the case. We're a community, and it's grown uh, exponentially since yeah. you know since I started. But you know, years and years ago, 
the, the voice community, especially the, the, the anime community and the video game community, we were, we were mm. a, a small community, you know, and, and a lot of times, a good part of the time, we didn't even audition. Someone would call, you want to do this? Is it sure? Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> you know, that's the way with, with Cowboy Bebop, you know, right. uh, I, I had no idea what it was. And, and, um, and I thought it was about cowboys, you know. I was, I was going to talk way. like that. Yeah, it, well, in a way, I, cowboys being bounty hunters. But I thought I was going to be, I was going to be riding horses and whatnot. You know, my character riding horses and talking like, yeah, you know what I mean, with a toothpick in my mouth. Right. And uh, and, and so that was the first, the first day of, of of recording with Mary Elizabeth. We were trying to establish a voice, and I came in and I I said, well, I was thinking I'd talk like, yeah, you know. And she, she said, well, uh, that's a choice that, that we're not actually going to gonna make, right? <laughs> we're not going to take that choice. And uh, she said, how about this? Let's do something really weird. Let's use your voice, Bo, and we'll tweak it, tweak it a little bit. And I said, oh, well, okay, all right. So, um, you know, and then we ended up with Ace Bike, I mean, you know, Bell Peppers and Beat, Sands the Beat. <laughs> Funny story is I actually made bell like peppers it. and beef one time. <laughs> oh, did you really? Yeah. Yeah, I actually added the beef though. Oh, <laughs> oh okay, yeah. good. Yeah. yeah you that's, can't that's, really that's call cool. this so, bell peppers and beef. So, but what I'm kind of interested in is like, how did you get your start in voice acting? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. Back in the '80s, you know, I I came here. Actually, I came here in late '70s, but. They uh, hear me, L.A. Hollywood, um, as to be, you know, to be an on-camera actor. Because back in those days, people didn't just aspire to be a voice actor. It was, you know, you just you wanted to be a, an on-camera actor. And uh, so, you know, so I came here and I was having reasonable success. And um, and then a, a, fr- a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to uh, uh, do a voice uh, a character in a foreign act- live action film. And so what he was doing, he was he was uh, supervising the, the the dubbing of these foreign films. Like it'd be a German film, and there would be a, an African character in the German film. So they, he he asked me, "Boy, you want to, you know?" And back then, you can get away with kind of a, kind of a general African accent. Now things are specific, you know, is Ugandan or is Nigerian or is South African. African, but uh, but but at that time, they, you know, that's what I do. So I was a, I was a resident African voice, you know. So I, I'm doing this for my father, you know. And so I did a number of those, and it was interesting too because then I don't know if you know how our business works. We work with beeps and um, and and Pro Tools, so you can slide stuff. But back in then, there were no beeps, no Pro Tools. We had time code, so you'd have to they would play the scene, and you try to get a feel for the scene. And then, then they would run it. Once you start recording, the uh, you'd have to watch the time codes, and to know when to start. And and uh, anyway, it was it was pretty nerve wracking actually. It's, it's it's pretty easy compared now compared to then. But after doing a few of those, um, you know, then Doug asked me uh, if I wanted to uh, do the voice in an anime project, and I said, well, what's anime? Because I didn't know what it was, and anime wasn't big like it is now. So um, I said, sure, you know, because it's fun. I love doing that, and um, that's how I got started. So Doug Stone was uh, was my mentor and introduced me to uh, uh, Kevin Seymour at, uh, over at Magnitude Eight, and Les and and Mary Claypool were you know running their studio, and um, so that's how I got started. I segued from voicing characters and foreign live action films uh into doing um, anime and animation and um, original animation here 
No, and the difference between original animation and anime is that in anime, you're in the booth alone. And original anime, you're sitting around with everybody else, you mm. know, which, which, is, uh, a, 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 which is obviously a lot more fun rather than being in a booth by yourself. But uh, it's still a wonderful way to make a living if you could be lucky enough to be in that situation. And you're part of, like, you, you're very much a part of making anime what it is today. Like, you are, you are uh, part of taking that culture and bringing it to so many other people now that's well thank thank you uh for that i i uh i like to feel that you know i had a little bit uh, a little bit of a contribution uh, when cowboy bebop went to adult swim on uh, cartoon network that was i think that was the big deal that, that mm. uh, kind of started putting putting um uh, anime really uh, deeply into our culture and uh spreading it out and of course now it's not you know, the general population is aware of anime and, and our, right. our product, projects, and they're, they're mentioned in, in uh, mainstream television. They, they'll talk about it now, which is really wonderful. But yeah, uh, Cartoon Network was very instrumental in, in, in getting us anime going here in the States. And, and uh, luckily, um, some of my projects were uh, in the adult uh, swim block when i was uh because i was part of the generation of adults the first set of adults that actually got to experience like tsunami and all of that because i was uh i was fresh into the military around that time because i graduated in 2000 and went straight into the army but uh around that time you know just a bunch of us nerds that were all in communications together and we were watching like tsunami or adults women stuff and so you know, they all knew me as the kid that watched anime and stuff. And they're like, oh, dude, you should check this other one out. And then we had like watch parties watching Cowboy Bebop together at night. And we were like, this is so cool. And this, so that's awesome. just that's to awesome. just just Thanks realize there's a there's story. a whole generation of military nerds that were just enthralled by all of the stuff that came out there. And like you're. You're you're definitely part of what kept us kind of grounded a little bit more. I would I wouldn't necessarily say sane, but like because we weren't losing our minds at that point. It's just I mean we were, but for good reasons because the the shows that were coming out were so good. But mm. but like it, it kept us it kept us in a place where no matter where we were, we could go back and watch this thing, and it would give us that feeling a reminder that this was home. Yeah. You know, it was Bro. like you get that feeling of home there. And not only that, I mean for a lot of us, you know. I'm an introvert, didn't have many friends in high school, mm, and, same. you know, my parents would force me to go out and do stuff, but, you know, I remember, I remember those days, yeah. I had the, but, you know, there's, like, I think two shows that got me through some tough years in high school, and that was uh, Trigun and, of course, Cowboy Bebop, and, like, those are two my, those are my two, definitely Cowboy Bebop, because I've, I haven't bought a collection of Trigun before. But for Cowboy Bebop, I bought the Platinum Edition at Anime Expo the first time I went. And then at Anime Expo a few years ago, I ended up buying it all Blu-ray. I just wanted to experience Cowboy Bebop in a, you know, in a better, higher definition. Yeah, that's And honestly, that's so when neat. I went to uh, Anime Los Angeles that uh, the year that you guys were there, I totally forgot that you guys were going to be there. And I didn't bring my Blu-ray for you guys to sign. I was oh, like, no. Ah, I was like, man, I missed my chance. Dude, I feel bummed out that one year I went to Otakon. It was the same year that Yoko Kano was there putting on the concert. And I ended up having to miss her concert so my car wouldn't get towed. Because oh, no. <laughs> Baltimore doesn't play. Literally, we were five seconds late and they were already towing the car. And I was like, oh, no. no. 
Oh, Baltimore did not play. Nathan, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, like, speaking of the Cowboy Bebop event at at, um, at Anime Los Angeles, uh, I, I think I've got one I, – I think I'm, like, one rung below you because I was there. I knew it was going to happen, but I was working at the convention in registration at the time. Oh, oh. So you missed the panel and stuff. Huh? I missed the whole thing. My my fiance, I think, went, and a bunch of my other friends did. But sadly, I was on shift, so I couldn't go. Oh, that was even worse. So, so they told you about it. Whoa, this is what you missed, man. <laughs> oh, oh man, that sucks. Oh. Um, uh, Bo, as somebody who writes and directs, uh, I was always enthralled by a good story, and Cowboy Bebop. Uh, certainly had an amazing story, but I I was kind of wondering what were some of the stories that kind of inspired you as a creator and an actor? You mean in, in Cowboy Bebop you're talking about? Oh no, just in general. Like, what stories did you grow up with that kind of inspired you, and you were, or or some something that you saw and you were like, I'd love to do that. You know, because generally it's a story or like a type of character that really compels me and makes me want to either write or act or or direct. And I was wondering, you know, what kind of things brought you to that creative direction? Well, I can just say one influence, uh, oddly enough, was Bill Cosby, because back mm. uh, back in the day, he did a show called I Spy, mm-hmm. and and he was he was a, a professional tennis player, which was actually his cover, and Robert Culp was his uh, was his trainer, but their cover uh, that was their cover because they were uh, secret agents mm. for the for the CIA, and so uh, and they were traveling the world. <laughs> And so I was, I, I remember watching that show thinking, I want to do that. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, you know, I grew up as, as an athlete. That was my concept of uh, my, my, gotcha. my self vision of myself is because uh, I wasn't playing tennis back then. I, I, I play tennis now, but I wasn't playing tennis. I hmm. played football, baseball and basketball. But the, the idea that he was a jock and he was a secret agent and he was traveling the world and, you know, leading this glamorous life. And so, you know, I had that in my, in my mind and, and uh, I was thinking that I'd love to, I'd love to do that. <laughs> I'd love to do that. And yet, that kind of gave me the, the stimulation to do, uh, you know, to do it because I, I didn't do it till late in life. I, okay. no, there are, there are, I say late in life, later in life. There are a lot of people who know what they're going to do early on in their lives and they start early. You know, like mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who always knew they wanted to be an actor and that's what they did. And, and then they, you know, started when maybe even in grammar school or high school. And so I, uh, I was slightly different from that. So, mm. you know, I was, as I say, I was an athlete. I was offered a, a contract to play professional baseball with the Kansas City Athletics, which became the Oakland Oakland A's, the Oakland Athletics. But back in the day, they were in Kansas City. They offered 18, 18 grand to, to, to sign a contract. And, you know, I was 17 and $18,000 uh, back in the day when you're 17. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. It sounds like a lot of money, you know. And uh, Be surprised so how I, quickly that can all disappear, too. Oh, but of, of course, of course. I, didn't, I, I, I was all excited about it. And I talked to my dad and he said, well, let's slow down. Let's let's think about this. And because that's my that's the kind of father he was. You know, he didn't he that's didn't good. dictate to me so much. He would he would help me help me with the thought process to come right. to 
the right conclusion. So he says, so let's assume you sign a contract, you play baseball, you go down to Texas, you're in the, the C or the B leagues and you're playing on these dusty fields and there's nobody in the stands and, um, and then you don't make it. Then what do you got? And then I said, well, nothing. <laughs> so he said, on the other hand, you can go to, go to college. You have a football scholarship. They go to college and play, play football in college. And, uh, you could do that, get your education, and then maybe even play baseball on the college team. And, and and then when you graduate from college, then you can maybe sign a contract then. And then if it doesn't work out, you have your education. And and then when he finished that little speech, he said, but it's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so I said, well, yeah, I think I think I'll go to I think I'll go to college. And he said, good decision, son. Good decision. Yeah. Sound <laughs> like you sound like you sat you down and played a uh, played a game of pros and cons. He did. He did. See, he's a he was such a smart guy, a great father. I remember after as an as uh, as an adult or, or maybe late teenager, I I was complaining to him about um, somebody's attitude about or response to something I said. And so he, he, he made this brilliant comment. He said, well, remember, Bo, everybody's not as smart as you. And so he played, <laughs> he played my, he, he played my ego. He oh. said, so you, 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 everybody's not as smart as you. So you have to be, uh, be charitable toward people, you know, understand that maybe they can't think as well as you, you do. So uh, give them a break. You know, don't, don't get down on them. And, uh, and, and then I remember walking away. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then this little voice in my, in me said, well, what just happened? <laughs> but that's good advice though. Like I can apply that to my life <laughs> right? uh, in, in some ways, you know, I, I, I have ADHD, so I tend to think faster than mm -hmm. a lot of the peers around me i my thought process moves a lot quicker and like i i used to get really irritated that people couldn't keep up and i mm -hmm. had to and then i had to kind of step outside myself and realize that my brain doesn't work the same way as everybody else's brain and that and i can kind of apply kind of that that kind of, uh lesson to something that goes on in my life as well. So I think that's just overall good advice as well. It's like yeah, learn to yeah, learn is. to be patient and understanding with other people in a way. Right, right. Yeah, However so, you get there, that's a good, you know, that's a that's a, a well, very good philosophy to uh, uh, exhibit throughout the course of your life to to give people the, the benefit of the doubt and you know and, and you think about you think about the bullying that goes on in our culture now like starting in the white house you know that bullying and calling people names and it just it's a horrible thing that it's kind of hit our hit our society and i guess that and, in the last four years the well, bullying and the hate crimes have increased you know and now with the of, internet it doesn't go away just as soon as you get back home yeah. like when you move from school back to home the bullying can continue like yeah, i didn't it took me it took me most of the 2000s for my brain to actually process that i was like what but because you know i I went to school in the nineties, so I'm sitting here thinking, well, as soon as you get home, you're not around that anymore. And I don't, cause like the internet hadn't really quite picked up until about the mid two thousands. That's where it really started with social media and everything. And then by the time that we got into the 20 teens, I was like, it, it started really hitting home. I was like, Oh crap, this happens. Like people are still like, man, I kind of got lucky that I got, I got out of all of that before uh the age of the internet and i don't have to deal with that but like i felt 
so bad because that bullying can now continue past, you know, just the times that you see these people. Yeah, it's very sad. It's mm-hmm. very, very, very sad. And 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 people can be cruel. I remember when I was in high school, there was one young fella. Oh, um for he ended up getting polio and that was a big scare when i was a child you know and then the salt vaccine vaccine uh came came out and then that that saved us but he uh he ended up getting it and he had one like dangling useless arm and do you believe that people the kids actually made fun of him and i i mean i i couldn't believe it and you know being a jock we i was kind of like at the top of the pyramid so to speak and and um, I, I, I happened to be present when someone did that. Mm. And uh, so I kind of exerted some energy toward that person. And, um, and then I realized, I realized how, how lonely that young fella's life was. And I remember I was in the, uh, in the cafeteria eating lunch, and, and he was walking down the aisle. And I just happened to notice he, was, he would walk and stop, and I walk and stop. And, and then finally he came over to me, and he said, do, do you mind if I sit and have lunch with you? And I said, of course, no, come on, sit down, you know. And um, so I, I had a chance to, to, to talk with him and, and ask him about if that type of thing went on a lot. And he said, yeah, it does, it does. And it was just astounded me that that people would make fun of somebody who had was unfortunate to have this this condition where mm. one arm where one arm didn't work. And so I told him, I said, you can sit with me anytime there's a seat available. And I said, and if you if someone's bugging you, you tell me and I'm going to go take care of it. And um he, he only he only did that one time after that. But I was I felt good that I was able to uh, intercede and to, mm. to stop a little bit of that bullying. But it was so it was it was an eye opener for me because I had no concept of how bad people could be. You know? Right. No, that's, that's <laughs> just true. to make fun of somebody who has a disease that that it, it, it incapacitates part of their body. That's messed up. You know, I mean, it's bad enough that people make fun of fat people and they make fun of skinny people. But the kids are, I mean, the younger people do that because now we got the guy in the White House does that. To, you know, I don't know if you remember, he, he made fun of that journalist who was had some type of palsy and he just mimicked the person. I mean, I, I almost threw up. I looked at that and saw that video of him doing that. And I was thinking, I mean, that's something maybe a seven year old might do. Mm-hmm. That uh, an adult, how does an adult make fun of somebody who was unfortunate to have a disease that causes that that behavior? An adult, and he's the president of the United States now. And I just, I just, I, t- I remember telling my wife, I said, I think, I think we're in trouble. And of course, that was during the campaign before he was elected. And come to find out, we're, yeah, we're in big trouble. Yeah, it's, uh... I mean, the the hate crimes. The bullying and and unfortunately, a lot of people in our in our world are susceptible to that because a lot of people in our world have different challenges. And so I think that's one of the nice things about the conventions that where my experience has been that people aren't judging others. They're they're just enjoying uh, the experience of being at a convention and, and cosplaying and and people having this one thing in common that we mm-hmm. that we love we love anime we love cosplay i 
that's one of the great joys of going to a convention is watching the wonderful, absolutely magnificent cosplay that's going on. You know, <laughs> that's the, one of the, the things money. that. <laughs> That's another one of the things that I've loved about the growing of kind of just nerd culture in general has been like, you know, you you can go to a convention and it's not uh, it's not about dealing with the pressures of life anymore. It's like, hey, uh, not necessarily a safe place or a safe space, but it's mostly just a place where, hey, we're all here to celebrate how much we all enjoy this particular thing. And we can all focus on that one thing for a little bit. I feel like there's less drama at the conventions than there is in real life. I mean, conventions, yeah, I mean, as the cosplayers, That's... we all have our drama, but it's nothing compared to, like, high school or, I mean, even in a workplace. I feel like that a lot of that is because as as a lot of us are nerds and quite a few of us are introverts, we've dealt with that so much that we kind of consciously make sure that we don't do that to others. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> but un- unfortunately, there has been a little bit increase in drama because of the popularization of as it becomes more as it becomes more mainstream. Me- yeah. Uh, thanks to uh, you know certain cosplay shows that did premiere on uh, Sci-Fi. What well, show there's that also premiered on Sci-Fi. Huh? What show that premiered on Sci-Fi? Heroes of Cosplay. No, what show that premiered on Sci-Fi? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so so the um. I think the other part of it is, of course, uh, some of the anonymity behind being on the Internet. Yeah. 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 I think that's the primary problem that we're facing these days, like especially since there's really aside from, of course, people like doxing people. But like ordinary, like as it happens, there's really no consequence for the most part. Like people won't find out who you are and so you won't have to deal with somebody face to face. Yeah, because you don't have to pay for the consequences of your actions. It's a lot easier to just say whatever you want i feel mm-hmm. yeah so switching gears yeah so back to so, voiceover yeah so <laughs> so out of all the characters that you have done and you have done a crap ton of characters your imdb list like i think the only voice acting list i've seen bigger than yours was steve bloom because apparently steve bloom is in everything but what is the what is your favorite character that you have done uh in 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 anime you you mean uh anime video games like any any voice that you've done that has been your absolute favorite well um you know like steve says the different characters are kind of like your children you you don't want to have a favorite but deep down inside you do. <laughs> so obviously, uh, you know, Jet is, is the character that I've related to uh, most uh, because, you know, I have two children and my, my daughter is, you know, three years older than my son. And growing up, there was a certain dynamic and in a certain way, Faye and Spike, because of the ages, they would be more like my niece and nephew, but they were they were always getting in trouble and doing stuff, especially Faye, right? Mm. Like that that episode where she stole her money, stole our wulongs from the um, from the safe. And, oh, and so the, you've actually no, yeah. watched the series? <laughs> oh, that's rare. <laughs> no, that is. Well, that's it's because it's Cowboy Bebop, you know. I mean, oh like, yeah, there uh, you go. It, it's and, and there were a limited number, you know. I mean, I think we did twenty six episodes. That was it, you right. know. As opposed to you know, like Digimon, you know, there's so many iterations of that. Uh, it's almost or Naruto, five hundred episodes or, of that. Uh, right, Naruto, 
so it, it's um, but but I, I related to to Cowboy Bebop. Uh, I think for that reason, because, you know, as an actor, when you get a role, whether it's on camera or, or uh, animation, you, you try to find uh, uh, similarities between yourself and, and the character uh, to bring out, you know, to make it uh, germane and, and, uh, to your, is that Noah? <laughs> yeah, Noah. Of course it's Noah. Hey Noah. Hey buddy. I've been there. I understand. Hey, Noah says hello. But yeah, tell him I said hello. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Jet Jet is probably the, the the one that I relate most to, and and I was luckily the way it was written, I had um I I you know I had that episode in where he goes back to Ganymede and he. He uh, digs back into his past and, you know, gets throws the watch away and everything. You know, he just puts that part of his life to rest. Um, it was nice to be able to uh, voice uh, that episode and, and those scenes where the writer, you know, they, they were just written so well and they were realistic. You know, mm. it just uh, examining the human condition and what people go through. So, uh, yeah, that was that was great. And of course, Mushroom mushroom Samba, I don't know if you remember that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was actually going to ask you about that because someone actually on our uh, Instagram asked what was the vibe like on the set that day. <laughs> the vibe on the set. Well, unfortunately, as I say, is doing anime, it's just, you know, we're in the booth alone. But, uh, Did but they yeah, supply I, you mushrooms? <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know if he can answer that, Drew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Legally, he is not allowed to confirm yes or no. Right. If I to, if I if I told you, I'd have to kill you. So. <laughs> but yeah, I remember when we were voicing voicing that that uh, that mushroom some of that episode. I was thinking, I say, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would actually be able to voice a stoned character in anime. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, out of. I think for a lot of us, that is our favorite episode. Really, uh, really quickly, that reminded me yeah. that there, there's no age limit to this, uh, to this show. By the way, uh, there is uh, a guy on YouTube. Uh, they use uh, the title "Spaz Boys Comedy," and he does reactions to different series. Like he's in like his. 60s, pushing to 70s, and like maybe about like four or five years ago, uh, his uh, his community got him to check out anime, and he started uh, he started putting up polls. Hey, what should I watch and react to next? And eventually, he got to Cowboy Bebop, and he was like, "This is amazing!" And I'm like, I'm watching him react to like these scenes, and I'm like, "That's the cool thing. I can watch this with my parents." who are in their 60s, 70s, and they can appreciate it just as much as I did. And, like, I could sit down and I could watch it with, like, my nephew, who's, like, in his 20s, and he's like, this show is amazing. And it's, like, that's one of the cool things about this. It's one of those timeless kind of shows where it doesn't matter what age group you're in. You can find somebody that will watch this at any age range, and they will enjoy it. It's one of those interesting kind of... Uh, it, it's one of those interesting kind of moments because there's not a lot of shows that can do that. That brings That's me to so another true. question from a fan. Uh, only in, uh, in only Inspirion from uh, from Instagram. He actually wanted to ask you, how does it feel like to be part of anime history in such a big way? Oh well, it's humbling. 
it, it really is humbling. You know, when we were voicing Cowboy Bebop in 1998, when we did this series, you know, we had no idea it would have the impact that it has had. And it was just a fun gig. And, and of course, the more we, uh, we, we did it and the more we, we heard, heard the music, because, you know, when you're in there in the, in the, in the booth voicing the, the show, you're just dealing basically with your scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, not other stuff that you no scenes that you're not in, uh, like Mary Elizabeth would give us a, uh, an explanation of what's going on, what has gone before, but you're just dealing with, you know, your, your, your scenes. And so, uh, it took a while before we, I think we, all of us started to realize how epic it was, um, especially because, you know, when we were voicing it, we didn't get a chance to appreciate the music. Because the, the music is such an absolutely phenomenal part of the um, the, of the, the show. The whole, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that music is absolutely amazing. I have the entire soundtrack for the entire show and the movie. I've got oh. lo-fi covers of Cowboy Bebop, for goodness sake, man. Like, oh, oh man. It's, 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 the music is, and it's eclectic. I mean, it, it gets oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, classical I, music, the jazz, the bebop, everything. Yeah, I mean, I have... I, my dad loves the music. I mean, he's not a big fan of anime, but he will listen to the music from the show. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and Tank, to, you know, uh, the opening, the opening piece is, is it just, it just. It's iconic. Me. All you have yeah. to say is three, two, one, and somebody's shouting, "Let's jam." Let's jam. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can sort of attest to that. I at my um old, I used to, I used to work at a computer store once. Um, and in the back room, we'd be able to like play a bunch of music while we worked. Um. If I was the first one in there, I'd play some Cowboy Bebop music, and we got a whole range of people as far as age goes. Like, as somebody in their in their 60s or 50s, 40s, all like all along the age lines, and everybody in everybody that was in the back room was always like, "Hey, this is really good. Who, who is this?" <laughs> right, right. So, and, they, and when you told them it's from an anime, uh, hopefully they had a, a they be, uh, took on a different disposition about anime. It was well, more like um, deer in a headlights kind of view. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> uh, speaking of speaking of changing dispositions, uh, like that's been another thing about Cowboy Bebop and how it was how it was portrayed and how it was acted out. It changed a lot of opinions. I feel like uh, just in the general populace about voiceover, uh, about dubbing, and about yeah, it, it really it really kind of highlighted the acting in voice acting. Yeah. Because I mean, there's there's a whole uh, the dub versus sub. Well, that too. But then but everyone also... says except Cowboy Bebop because everyone's like Cowboy <laughs> Bebop is the best. <laughs> but also, it also opened up. I think paved the way for storytelling and other mediums like video games and stuff mm-hmm. to to really kind of tell a story in a way because like if you look at a lot of the games that came out in like the 80s and 90s versus what we started getting in the 2000s and stuff like story started taking on a stronger kind of tone in video games to the point that we ended up to the point that we ended up getting to like uh like uh just uh, amazingly uh epically told kind of these narrative driven and character focused stories I mean, that like we get with 90s, things like The Last we, uh, of Us. Yeah, like The Last of Us, but in the 90s, we're playing, what, Mario and uh, Crash Bandicoot, which is not that much story. But then you go to here now, you've got 
what Richie said, you've got The Last of Us, and then you've got the, the epic Mass Effect series. Oh, I'm replaying that right now on PC. I'm so excited. <laughs> but uh, and but with the voice acting, like even the voice acting from the anime and video games in the '90s. I mean, we all talk we all talk crap on the the 1992 uh, dub of Sailor Moon, but we all love that dub. Mm. But then fast forward to now, it's just there's a definite like quality increase in the voice acting, and it all started with Cowboy Bebop and Trigun. I think after after those, it saw it after, and kind of took it a bit more seriously at that point. They were like, oh, you can seriously do this. It's not just – that whole mantra of cartoons are just for kids started to kind of dissolve a little bit from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Definitely. would say that it was around that time that uh, we had that – such a drastic um, uptick in the writing quality and um, voice acting quality of – a lot of things across the board. I don't know if it was Cowboy Bebop or Trigun or anything like that that started it, but I it was think it definitely was kind of an amalgamation. I feel like it was kind of an amalgamation of those things because around I that think, time we were also getting the Matrix, which was anime inspired. Yeah. So that's I think part of it. Ninety-seven and ninety-eight was just a really good year for anime. I'll agree on that. <laughs> 98, I mean, as I said, we, we didn't realize that we were involved in an iconic project and, right. uh, with awesome music and that would transcend the generations. Uh, it, it was just, uh, and it was almost like a Polaroid. I don't know if you guys remember the Polaroids, but yes, you know, I it, do. It, it, it takes them a while to develop. Uh, you have to, to shake them. Yeah, yeah, to Jacob. It takes a while for it to to come into focus. You know, that right. was the kind of kind of with Cowboy Bebop because, you know, at some point you realize this is awesome stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, and in a way, big. And and in def, definitely in a way, and take this for the giant compliment that it's meant to be. In a way, Cowboy Bebop is very much kind of like the Star Wars for anime fans. Yeah. Like. Oh. He, like you, you have to think of it. Nobody who was working Except on Star no Wars at the time. Hey, okay, the prequels are. I'm no, we won't get into that. We won't get into <laughs> the that. Prequel, that. I'll go into it. The prequels are like the isekai of. No, uh, two, 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 and three count. I'm, I'm, I'm. The last half of one is the only part that counts. The Darth Maul fight fair. counts. No, that's, that's fair. That's fair. All right. Anyway, <laughs> and nothing, and, and nothing great. happened after six. Nothing happened after six. In your head, maybe. So let's not right. let's not here's have that an, fight today. So yeah. here's oh, another yeah. question from another fan. Um, Go for it. Uh, uh, Percival Boy, I think that's it's like Percival, but with a Z. Uh, he he's asking. He Percival. wants to know what's Percival. Percival. Yeah. Uh, he wants to know what's your favorite live action movie. <clears throat> wow. Favorite live action movie. That's hard. We just but, said it. You know, Star Wars. No. <laughs> well, you know, you know, I there is that thing with Star Wars, Star Trek, Star Wars, Star Trek. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, you can be fans of both, you know. And I, I've, you know, I've been in Star Trek Into Darkness and Star Trek Continues, so I'm uh, sl- slightly biased. But you can be, you can be fans of both. There should be no, no argument there. You can be, you, know, you can like both. Uh, uh, series of movies. So, Just so long as know. we can all agree that the best Star Trek movie was Galaxy Quest. That's the that's the important part. As long as the, yeah, as long as you I'll, all agree. I'll, I'll agree with that. <laughs> nice, nice to hear you. Yeah. You can't agree. <laughs> okay, so now I've got a serious question from another another fan. They uh, because with the the changing culture in voice acting, mm-hmm. with 
you know, with regarding the race, you know, because the actor for uh, the guy who played uh, Abu in uh, oh Hank Azaria, Hank yeah, Azaria, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, Simpsons stepped oh, down. Simpsons, right. and, and so and so did the guy that voiced uh, uh, Cleveland Brown, Cleveland Brown in uh, Family Guy. Yeah, we covered yeah. that on anime and stuff. Okay, recently. so what's your opinion on on that? On <laughs> well, like you know, of uh, characters, um, actors who are playing characters that are not of their own color, so they're stepping down. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. they weren't pressured to step down just to go <laughs> they ahead and preface. They, they did it on their own. And if yeah. it was their decision, I can agree with it. But if they were pressured, I feel kind of iffy. So, yeah, what's, I, uh, yeah. Sorry. yeah, what's your opinion on this, Bo? Well, I, I, I agree that I, uh, I salute them for making that decision to, you know, to do it, to do it on their own. Uh, I think it's it's a. It's a let me see. It's a hard it's a hard decision to make to, to have one solid opinion about it because you know if you take that to its logical conclusion, me as an African American actor would never be able to voice a, Cauc- a Caucasian act uh, a character, right? Mm-hmm. That's the other side of that. That's the other side of that coin thing. If it's a Caucasian actor only, a character only, a Caucasian actor can voice that character. And I don't know if you guys are aware that, you know, I mean, like the right Kage or um, I did this show called the legend of black heaven. I don't know if you guys were aware of that. I don't it think was, I've heard that one. It's an anime. I voiced a lead character who is a, um, um, just a regular Japanese guy who uh, works in an office, but he ends up saving the world with his music. Mm-hmm. And and uh, he's like a Bill and me. Ted office worker. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. the <laughs> Bill and Ted of anime. <laughs> the Bill and Ted of, a- of anime. But yeah, Legend of, of, of Black Heaven. Check that out. OG is is the the lead character that I voice. Okay. And um, so you know, there's a it's a it's a trick. If you say that only only black actors can voice black characters, which means that. I would not be in anything that did not have a black character in it. Where does that place be? I voice a robot. (laughs) 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 I mean, that's interesting because, I mean, if if that would be the case, I mean, then there wouldn't be that many roles in anime. Right. Well, see, that's 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 the point. That's the point that I was making. Um, And, you know, there was no indication uh, with Cowboy Bebop, that Jet was, you know, was an African American, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, I understand because the vo- there are far fewer roles for p- people of color in in live action and in in anime, and so I understand that the thrust of that point of view to say only uh, someone should vo- of that ethnicity only can voice that character. But as I say, if you reverse that coin, then, um, you know, all Caucasian characters would be voiced only by Caucasian actors. And then that would cut out a lot of, you know, a lot of the voices I've done, you know, like in um, uh, uh, Ray Zero with uh, Old Man Rom, the, the, the bartender and, I mean, I voice a lot of characters that are not African American, and, and so I yeah. Go ahead. I feel like there's already a, a large amount of typecasting going on within the industry, and this would just enhance that more, in a way, because now you're typecast based on 
skin color if that were to be the case. And I'm like, but we already have enough of that going on in live action. Like in voiceover, that's the beautiful thing about voiceover. You can, it, it doesn't matter what you look like. I mean, um, the, famously, the joke was you could show up in your pajamas and still record, and it's a great day. But, uh, but yeah, with voiceover, none of that should really matter, and that's always been like my thing. If you have the chops to do it, then just do it. Yeah, I mean that's a logical point of view, and but we also have to consider the you know the the consequences of sticking, uh, you know, because the, there's I was I was lucky as an African-American actor to do mm. anime, but I was one of the very few, you know, when, it, when all of this started, I, I, I was, might've been the only guy. Right. And, uh, so, uh, and so there was no restriction. As I say, I didn't feel like I was, I wasn't restricted to, uh, African-American characters because there weren't any <laughs> or very, or right. very few, right. or very few of them. Right. So, right. yeah. And so uh, luckily I was, I was involved with, uh, producers and directors who did not subscribe to that to that theory but but on the other hand back in especially back in the day if there was an african-american character and i'm sitting at home not working and you have a caucasian actor voicing that character there would be you know there would be something to think about right uh as to say well you know there 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 are very few african-american characters written and then when when one actually shows up you have a Caucasian actor voicing him, and uh, and it's you know there's never just one person who can do any role. You know, I mean there are That's other guys it. who who could have done Jet Black. It just so happens they asked me to do it. You know, right. And uh, but it's it's I mean I understand both thoughts on that, and I I'm not even really sure where I come down on it. Uh, I but, look at it as kind of a situational kind of thing, like uh, because the circumstances could always be different. And yeah, so yeah, I'd yeah. like to view it as that singular, as that singular thing, make a decision based on that singular thing, instead of saying everything should be labeled this way. Yeah. You know? yeah. Going yeah. by on a, yeah. more of a case by case basis. Sorry. Yeah. And, yeah. Not, and just to add to it, I think it is ultimately admirable that people felt so convicted about um, <clears throat> being cast as these characters mm. uh, without really having the um i guess the the racial chops to back it up that they were willing to step down of their own will that's that at least from my perspective Mm -hmm. that's an admirable thing and that's something that i think they should follow up on if they so chose to do so but as an industry-wide rule um i i I think anyone would say that's a little questionable yeah Yeah. i can agree i I absolutely agree with that yeah Mm -hmm. i don't think it should necessarily become like an industry standard yeah. So but, Nathan, I, you have a quick. Oh wait, sorry. Sorry. I was no. just going to say that one of the things that people don't necessarily realize is that the people. I don't know about the salaries, uh, except for like uh, on The Simpsons. For those people to step down from those roles, that's a big financial um, sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Because you know The Simpsons, those those lead characters are making hundreds of thousand dollars an episode. Yeah, and they've been doing those oh, yeah. uh, characters yeah. for years yeah. I mean, too. I mean, literally, literally Hank, making a, a year's a year's salary and and doing one episode. Hank has and Hank is area. I mean, he has multiple characters that he does on The Simpsons too. So uh, he's still doing quite a bit. He does he does Mo the Tavern Keeper as one of them. So oh, okay. I mean, yeah. So I mean, he's not he's not losing his job. He just you know stopped doing that character, and I can kind of understand. And yeah, I mean. True. 
And it opens looking the doors at it, to a brand new actor too. I mean, looking at how long The Simpsons has been running on, there's some there's some like characters that have stereotypes in there that just don't fit the time or the age anymore. Yeah. Of right, of like, yeah. you know, because we've grown as a society in the last thirty Fair. forty years. You know. Yeah. Fair. Although and, in the last four years we've taken steps backwards, but yeah, another, I feel like we're taking a big subject. step backwards with that with yeah. this. Uh, I don't know. I don't even call him a human. I just call him an orange Cheeto. No, wait, I'm not gonna insult Cheetos like that. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just down. I'm, I'm down with the whole joke with Among Us right now. Orange is looking kind of sus. <laughs> <laughs> so Nathan, I, you had a question for him, didn't you? Yeah. Um. Just real quick, I kind of wanted to, um, uh, kind of step back to something a little bit akin to Drew's question about your favorite role. Um. Because it really kind of made me think about it. Um. My question is, what would you consider to be your most challenging role? Hmm. Well, and you mean in my career in general? Yes. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I in the 80s, I did a series called North and South. Uh, actually, I did North and South Book Two, the sequel to the original. And it was a, a, a Civil War epic, and I played a slave. And that uh, Buddy Swayze, you, know, you guys know him as Patrick Swayze. You know, he's passed mm-hmm. now, but Patrick was one of the leads mm-hmm. in that. Um, you know, we all call him Buddy. Uh, but it was a real challenge for me because it was a wonderful role, uh, you know, a good size role. And we we started filming in Charleston, South Carolina, where I was born. And my parents came down to Connecticut from Connecticut, and that was the first time they ever came on the set when I was working. And we had kind of like a family reunion in Charleston. We went to my grandparents' grave and. And um, it, it was just a wonderful experience. And the responsibility of playing a slave was, um, it, was, it, was it was awesome because I was trying to get into the mind of, 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 of one of my ancestors, you know what I mean? And uh, to try to understand uh, what, it, what it was like being owned by somebody to the point where they can take your life and uh, there would be no consequences and they would you know they would uh take your child and sell your child and you know you can you imagine if someone just decided okay noah's coming with us you know and we're, they just take noah you know they, mm-hmm. they just take noah and um it, it, it's um so i was i meditated and i did all of this work to try to experience what it was like to be in shackles to be whipped to be uh, to be owned by another human being, and uh, thinking about what what thoughts ran through my mind when I went to bed, what thoughts ran through, but when I woke up in the morning, the first thing in the morning, maybe I dreamt that I was free, you know, mm-hmm. and then I wake up and oh, that was a dream. You know how some dreams are so real. So, yeah. So you, you you imagine being an enslaved person. And uh, and I'm sure that is that happened. You know, they dreamt that they were free and then they woke up and it was so real. And they woke up and said, oh, I'm not free. I'm still owned by somebody. And and uh, my 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 wife or my girlfriend or my my lover is uh, is uh, can be violated by the slave master, his son. Uh, I mean, that's that was how my 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 line, my history started. My my great, 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 great grandmother was uh picked out when she was like 12 years old because that's the other thing that they did that they took advantage of you know they weren't women they were children 
11 and 12 year old 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 uh enslaved uh, children and so that was a real challenge because on the one hand i was really really happy that i got the gig and it was a nice gig uh we we, we left after charleston we filmed in louisiana we filmed in mississippi but the, it was depressing the the place where i had to go and there's the other thing forrest whitaker played the bad slave so he was a renegade I played the good slaves, so I bought into the whole program. You know, <laughs> my character was like, okay, you know. I, I mean, I, that's I'm pretty different. cool. You got to work with some of the biggest names, Forrest Whitaker and, and Steve Bloom and uh, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. Patrick oh, yeah. Swayze. And Patrick Swayze. Oh, I worked with Michael Douglas and American President. And, oh, that's uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, yeah. you know, I worked with all those guys. Marty, Marty so, American President. I've actually got an I was like, oh, yeah, I've got an important question for you because, because like me, you're in an interracial marriage. What right. is your, in this kind of political climate, what is your advice to people who are interracial or do you have any words of encouragement for, you know, people like me that are, you know, we're all in an interracial marriage, but in this, this climate where the, where our president is pretty much being a racist twat bag. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that, the way I've lived, lived my life, you know, in Los Angeles, Los Angeles is a melting pot. You yeah. Know what I mean, so, you know, we're, we're good wherever we go. I don't feel threatened or anything like that. But when I go someplace else, like even when I was before the COVID and all of that, going to conventions, I'll have to say that, you know, I was always treated well, but there is a paranoia that you carry with you. I've been this color all my life. I've experienced discrimination in, in, uh, in Connecticut, where I grew up. Uh, I mean, I remember the water fountains where it said colored only, white only, where we couldn't drink out of the same water fountains. We couldn't oh, wow. use the same, same toilets. I mean, I, 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 I lived that. I saw that when, you know, growing up in Connecticut, we would go south to visit our, my, our relatives. My father was from Macon, Georgia. My mother from Olanta, South Carolina, outside of Charleston. Mm-hmm. And um, and so when we went south and then we see that and there would be restaurants, there would be a, like a neon sign, like there would be a, I don't know, those restaurants didn't exist, but like a Hardee's or a Burger King. And at the bottom of the sign in red letters would be no colored. Wow, meant, that's just yeah, wow. don't come. In, don't even come in here because we won't serve you. And that you seems know. that seems so weird because I'm just a generation behind you. But that le- that that world you're describing, even though mm-hmm. I know, even though I know that it existed, and and everything like because I was born outside of that world, I was born in really early '80s. That, uh, because I didn't have any of that around me, that world seems so alien to me. Even though I know that's our history. Yeah, I mean, I we just, all we grew up uh, the what post uh, civil rights. <laughs> era and so for to meet someone that has gone through that it's always interesting to hear because you know we live like well you me i mean me nathan and bo we you know we live in california and like he said california is a melting pot mm. it like it doesn't matter which color you are or where you come from you're accepted but then when you go somewhere in the south where unfortunately i Hi, Richie. Hi, I, I live here. I, I, I don't know about. Well, I don't know. About I live Tennessee, in Tennessee. But, I live yeah. in Tennessee. But, yeah. I mean, if you go like to Alabama or some other place like that, where it's it's weird because 
you meet people that have that mindset that should have died like in the 1960s and before. Oh, there's people like that here too. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's weird seeing stuff like that. It's like you know, and hearing about it, it's like my my I can't really comprehend it because you know. We, there are I people have, my age and younger that have that mindset, and I, I don't understand it. I'm like, how do you have that mindset? This is so ridiculous. But it was passed down generationally. And, and I think yeah. that's. I mean, the, it's uh, not as it's not as strong as it probably was in the 50s and 60s. Like, but there's still like that level of distrust. Oh, you can't trust these people because of this reason. I'm like, really? <laughs> Just because people are different, you can't. That right, it, it and I think me. that. I think that um, <clears throat> it being passed down is really the issue. I mean, mm-hmm. if you like say just for example, if you look at a couple of kids that if you just leave them mm-hmm. alone, don't tell them anything and they get together and they just happen to like each other, it doesn't really matter what color they are. They'll they'll get on nice. But mm-hmm. eventually, um, I guess sometimes <laughs> family will kind of screw that up for you. It, it, well, they that, discover that Facebook my... and uh, they discover the internet and Facebook. Yeah, well, that that was my experience growing up in Connecticut. Basically, as a as a as a child, I was just one of the other kids. You know, I was mm-hmm. one of the very mm-hmm. few African Americans. I was just one of the other kids, and uh, I was treated that way. And it, it everything was fine until I got to um, dating age. Mm-hmm. Then that's when the fathers that's when the fathers got crazy. So I, you know, and I was an athlete in little league and all of that stuff. So and my, my, you know, my, my father volunteered in charities and things. So we were well known in, in town and everything was cool. But and then when it came, actually, basically when I got to high school, uh, everything was cool with the kids. It never changed with the kids. It was the parents. Mm. And so that, um, you know, dating was a, was a, was a, was a problem. Mm. And so, and so what we did was the, the kids were great. We, they gave us gave me cover so that whenever we went any place it was always a group of kids you know sometimes sometimes it was you know you couldn't tell that they were actual couples you know (laughs) (laughs) there you go yeah so the girls would figure out a way to defy their fathers you know (laughs) i mean i i I got kicked off a property of you know i mean it was it was weird and my father couldn't you know we couldn't buy a house we had to get a white a white friend of the family to buy the house. And then my father would buy it from wow. him. And, uh, I remember the third property we had, we, we were there for about a week. And then there was a, um, uh, uh written on our driveway, go back to Africa inward, you know? Wow. And, 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 and the thing is, it's one of those things. If you think about it, like, you know, when I was talking about being a slave, it might, it might uh, behoove you to take a moment and imagine that imagine being owned by somebody and where your children could be taken from you, your wife could be raped and nobody, you know, you couldn't say anything about it. Because like in the, in the South, if, if something happened, to, if, 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 a, if a black woman was raped by a white man and the black man did anything, he'd end up hanging from a tree with his testicles in his mouth and his ears cut off and his body burned, you know, because that, that's, that's what they did. So that you had no control. You couldn't protect your women. You couldn't tr- tr- protect your children. And you had to work from d- dawn to dusk at least six days a week. And uh, so just as a, maybe just as an exercise, um, imagine you at some point, take a quiet moment and imagine yourself in that situation. And, and, and then you, it's easy to understand why looking at a Confederate flag makes me nauseous to my stomach. 
Yeah, uh, I think it makes a know. lot of us nauseous, actually. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Because to it, me, though, some... I, I look at the Confederate flag, and I think the same thing as the Nazi flag. I mean... Oh, the same two thing. Pe- yeah, the two people that... The two armies that fought that, I mean, uh, they b- both got their butts kicked, and I don't know why they continue I was, to fly that one. Yeah, yeah, I was about to point that out. As somebody that lives in Tennessee, I don't know why so many people around here are so obsessed with representing the flag of the losing team. Yeah, they attacked the United States is what they did. They and, um, well, the other thing is, the other thing is, nobody had that going around until the 1920s, like the Confederacy and all that stuff, because Robert E. Lee and the rest of them were like, look, we don't want you celebrating the fact that we lost. And so the statues and all that stuff didn't come around until the 1920s. So when I hear people sit here and say, well, it's our heritage and Southern pride, I'm like, it's not our heritage that went away. Like we lost and people were ashamed of that. And they were like, okay, we need to move on. And then somebody in the 1920s started this up. Yeah. yeah. It's like, would and you actually go in and, 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 and unfortunately our president wants to protect those, those, yeah, yeah, those, I don't know. They're, they're not memorials Nazis. to me, but, but yeah, that, that, and the thing is when that happened with our driveway, it, it had such a, 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 a terrible effect on the family because we didn't know who, first of all, we didn't know who did it. You know, we figured there's some neighbor, we didn't know who did it. So that created a paranoia. We didn't know if that was the beginning of a slippery slope, you mm-hmm. know, because both my parents coming from the South, they, they remember Molotov cocktails, you know, uh, being thrown into a house and houses being burned down and, and, and all of that. So uh, we didn't know when that event took place, we didn't know if that was the beginning of a long line of terrible things or, uh, or if we were going to go go someplace and come home and find our house burned down. Yeah. Uh, so, it, it, you know, you thinking about the consequences of these things. It's, um, you know, it, it's it's a it's a it's a rough it was a rough life for mm-hmm. my parents. And it, it wasn't. See, I didn't find out about except for the writing on the driveway. I didn't. My parents parents shielded me from a lot of things uh, that, you know, I, there was an all-star baseball team when I think I was 12 or 13, was supposed to go down to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I was the best player in the league. And, um, the, the Fort Lauderdale uh, pony league said, don't bring any, we were, they called us colored then don't bring any color kids down here. So I was the best player in the league and they had an all-star team without me. And they all went to Fort Lauderdale and had a great time, you know, mm-hmm. and they, they told me you, you can't go because, they don't want colored kids to come down because what would happen is, you know, my, my city would send teams around the country and have teams come like uh, a team from Redondo Beach, a football team. Redondo Beach came to Meriden, Connecticut one year and the following year, which I was part of, we came out to Redondo Beach. And when you do that, you don't stay in hotels, you stay in the homes of the other players. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was part of the problem in Fort Lauderdale. They didn't want, you know, there were people who were going to willing to have a black person stay in their house, use their bathroom, you know? And, yeah. And, oh, and then oh, there's California. California's like, Hey, just send them all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> fine. But that, that, you know, that is, uh, sadly, that is, uh, the, uh, the, the mindset that this, uh, the, the politics and this, this president has brought back, like for, for, for me thinking back about those times when, I mean, don't get me wrong. I had a, I've had a wonderful life, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, you've had a wonderful but, and productive life. But I have not, but I have not lived with the white privilege. You know, <laughs> having to get in the back of the bus when we go, when we went south when I was a little boy, and 
and the back at the, the last car in the train and not being able to use the bathroom, not being able to go into a, um, in, into a restaurant. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people don't understand during World War II, we had German prisoners of war here. And uh, the, uh, whenever the, 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 they would be transported, like the black soldiers would be their guards and they would take a bus and be transported here or there or someplace. And they'd stop at a restaurant and the German, the German prisoners of war could sit in a restaurant and eat. And the black soldiers had to go into the kitchen way, stand in the kitchen and eat. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they, 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 mm -hmm. I mean, they treated the, the German, the Nazis better than they treated American, you know, black Americans citizens. But these are things that this is why we need Black History Month, because it's not taught. None of this stuff is taught in mm. our history books. You know, like the reason we have blood transfusions is because of an African-American doctor. Mm -hmm. and, and the refined uh, traffic lights that we have now were invented by an African-American. I mean, so our the reason, run, and the reason yeah. that we're allowed to, you know, have interracial marriages because of the uh, the lovings. Right. Yeah. Who, exactly. who pretty much said, fuck the conventional. We're going to do <laughs> we're going to do what we want. <laughs> and it's yeah. in a way I had to have a conversation with my mother about this recently because she she didn't she didn't quite understand she's like well black she's like she's one of those that was saying all lives matter and i'm like no mom here's the thing the black lives matter movement isn't saying that only black lives matter it's more like saying black lives matter too exactly right. that's the point that's the point and it's like and the reason why there's a black history month and you're like why isn't there a white history month it's because well because black people in the u.s don't have a culture that they can attach to, whereas white people do. You have Irish, you have Irish pride, German pride, British, Italian. Like people typically know their heritage and know where they come from. But a lot of people that were brought over here that were black came from all over and they don't know their heritage. They don't know their culture. Their culture was taken from them. That doesn't exist anymore. And that's why it's called black, because there's no defining set culture, which is typically why i don't say african-american because not all black people that are here in the u.s may have come from africa they could have come from different places um but the I, so I, I have i have a good comparison oh, when go someone says, i always post this meme whenever i see someone online post white li white lives matters it the meme is it says like y'all saying white lives matters i mean all all lives matters but Imagine going home to your wife and having sex with her and saying you like this dick, and she's like, "Oh, I think all dicks are good." Oh my goodness! Yeah, and 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 how do you know that? You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but the the other thing is, uh, you know, white history. That's what we. That's what what's in our history books. That's all history. history. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because, you know, oddly enough, Morgan, uh, uh, Morgan Freeman years ago oh, was Morgan interviewed. Oh, yeah. yeah, he was interviewed talking about he he doesn't agree with having a black history month. Uh -huh. and, and what and what he said, it's American history. But what he was he what he wasn't uh, accounting for was the fact that black history is not in our history books. Right. It's all white history, you know. You, you, you hear about a yeah. you hear about a couple of guys, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, Fred, you hear about Fred it for Fred a Doug. chapter. 
and you don't yeah. hear and you don't hear enough about them either. Like I but didn't you realize our, you don't hear our contributions. You don't right. like, mm-hmm. uh, like about. with you don't hear like our contributions with, with Martin Luther King. All I knew in school was like the that he did the civil rights movement. I didn't learn until later that he was pushing a better social and labor movement, and that the reason he got even more hated later on was because he was uh, pushing for better conditions for labor and social change pushing for equality for everybody not just not yeah, just people. one yeah. group yeah. of people he was know, like we, we grew up uh celebrating christopher columbus and we didn't really <laughs> none of us understood mm. what exactly actually went on there i mean there's there's a lot of that going on whether it involves race i i still don't understand to this day why we use daylight savings time like there's no reason for us to necessarily be using it oh easy it cuts down the work day makes it seem shorter no, it doesn't. <laughs> well, I think it has. I think it more has ties with um, our agricultural history. It does not. Well, that was that was disproven as well. It was invented in World War One by the Germans, and the Germans don't even use it anymore. Well, you know how well, we don't like to change anything. I, I gotta around. say, right? <laughs> last year's last year's daylight saving. Oh, this year's daylight saving was awesome because I was no, no, yeah, it was last year's daylight saving. It was awesome because I was still working overnights. And since the uh, clock sprung forward, I actually took, ended up taking a two-hour nap in my car, and I still came back to work on time. <laughs> <laughs> or was well, it when they paid you for that extra hour? Did they? No, it was no, it was fall. It was uh, when spring fell fell back. Yeah, fall back, spring. Forward. Yeah, fall back. Because yeah. so, like, because Oregon, Oregon about saving. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was gonna say one of the things about. Daylight savings time to have more daylight during your waking hours is good because, uh, you know, a lot of the northern countries like Finland and up north and uh, Sweden and Norway, you know, they have. Yeah. And Alaska. Yeah. They have six six months of of night. And it's and it's depressing. You know, I have a very good friend uh... from Finland and says that, you know, that that. You know, it's it's depressing to, mm. when it's dark all the time. Yeah, mm. I went. I spent a few years ago. I spent uh, Christmas in Alaska, and um, it was it was is weird because it would, by eight o'clock it'd be light, but by twelve thirty one p.m. it'd be dark again. Mm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that really yeah. messed up my body clock because I'm I didn't realize I didn't know what time it was. <laughs> right. And I was yeah, like, no, man, it it's dark. I feel like I should go to bed, but I know it's like one p.m. one a.m. It's <laughs> one in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. It's, My it's bad. Very, I didn't think daylight savings time was gonna get us on this much of a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get back to what the voice acting. Okay, what was our last question about voice acting? I totally lost. Uh, the last question about voice <laughs> acting was mine, and that was what was Bo's most challenging role. And then oh, yeah, he, that was that this was, was the grand spiral of the show. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, that's, no, that's fine. That's, that's good. What we're known for. We're uh, known for getting back anyway. I, I was gonna yeah. say uh, on that, what was. What was the most relatable role that you had uh, outside well, of Jet? Outside of Jet. Well, I have to say, I did a show on Nickelodeon, and mm-hmm. it was in 2007, 2008. It aired called Jess Jordan, mm-hmm. and uh, I played a grandfather who ran a diner, and my newly divorced daughter came to live with me. I lived upstairs over the diner, and with her two children, my two grandkids, and uh, we had capers, and I was more like. A grandpa that was like a big kid, so oh, I would yeah. do stuff. I would do stuff with the kids and say, "Don't tell your mother," you know. <laughs> it's like, and it, and I get, you know, the she would she would uh, 
uh, yell at her children, or not yell, but chastise her children and me along with them because we were doing s- silly kid stuff, right? <laughs> and so that was that was a lot of fun. But the be- the best part about that was that my granddaughter <clears throat> did a lot of extra work on the show, mm. and so uh, she got to be on this. You know, I got to be around her a lot, and she was around me at my work, and so that was probably the my the most enjoyable role that I've had because of that. And the first in the first uh, season, um, the the last episode of the first season, the writers wrote this beautiful food fight that took place in the diner. <laughs> and and luckily that 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 day, because the second season we did it with a it was a, a, a with a live audience. But the first season we did single camera so that we just shot it as we went along, you know, like the regular nighttime hour long shows. Mm-hmm. So but luckily my granddaughter was working that day. And one of the adults didn't show up. So my daughter, who was there because my <laughs> granddaughter was a child, she worked too. And so they, they put him in, they put him w- with me in the food fight. So during the scene, they're filming this, right? During the scene, they, my granddaughter is smushing cake in my face and pouring Kool-Aid on my head. And, <laughs> and, she, <laughs> and she looked at my daughter, she looked at my, her mom, my daughter, and said, Mom, Mommy, I just love this. And then she grabbed a handful of cake and smushed it in my face. And, uh, <laughs> it was it was such an awesome two years, I'll tell you. And unfortunately, we were canceled because of this show, uh, iCarly. And, and they uh, were, they were uh, you know, they for some reason, they didn't like our showrunner. And so they didn't treat us that well. Uh, but I got I used to I used to get a lot of comments from adults saying that, you know, I, they loved the show because it was one of the few shows on TV that they could sit down and watch and enjoy it with their kids. It wasn't just a kid's show. It was a, you know, they intertwined the, the storylines with the adults and the kids. So that it was it was literally a family show where a family would sit down and watch the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was probably the most satisfying comment I could make I, that I received from doing that show. So. That was just a joy to uh, uh, the the work of my 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 family on on my daughter and my granddaughter on the show. So I, that that brings me to a question: with um, since you got the work, has any of your kids or your grandkids have they taken up uh, acting, voice acting up as well? Uh, my granddaughter, the one she, because she got bitten by the bug because of Jeff Jordan. Yeah, she said, "I want all this. I want this." You know. And uh, I didn't I didn't That's encourage true. my kids to do it because I figured if if it was in their blood, they'd find it. And uh, and show business is a rough business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the people who are successful represent a very small percentage of the people who actually come here to try to to try to be actors. So, yeah, I, uh, I think you see a lot of those uh, other people who want to try to be actors. You see them just hanging out over in the Hollywood Walk of Fame trying to. You know, bum a cigarette off you or asking for change <laughs> or doing, yeah, doing unfortunately some things. Yeah, it's but so my, you know, my my daughter's a, a, a CPA, a, you know, a certified public accountant, and mm-hmm. she works as a controller of a corporation. And my son's an attorney practicing law. He practices labor law. So um, he, he kind of followed in my footsteps to that point of view uh, for, to that extent. But uh, but my granddaughter, she graduated from Occidental College in filmmaking. Uh, what, a year and a half ago, and now she's on this show, um, um, uh, uh, Last Man Standing, with oh, Tim Allen. Oh, I, I love that show actually. <laughs> yeah, she she does uh, she actually she does the COVID part of the, part of the COVID 
task force. So she she's part of the COVID crew on the set. Uh, oh wow! But but that's you know that's the odd thing about show business because uh, in any other area of life, you go go to college, get a degree, and you apply for a job. You're an mm-hmm. accountant, you're a, a doctor, a lawyer, but you get a, a degree in filmmaking. You don't go to MGM and say, okay, I want to make films. You know, they don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, happen. I know that all too well. I got my so, film degree and uh, I'm I'm working at Walmart. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. <laughs> That's just the nature of the beast, you know. And yeah. so, I mean, I've been able to help her a little bit. But it reminds me of when I first came here, uh, my father's brother, my uncle Will, he was he was the uncle that all the, he was the favorite uncle of all the cousins. You know that guy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was just the, the, base, the best uncle. Anyway, so he called me when he found out I was in Hollywood. He called me, and he said he also used to talk really fast, Uncle Will. He said, boy, what you doing in Hollywood? You don't know nobody in Hollywood. You get your butt back home. He said, you get your butt back home and get a job. <laughs> so I said, oh, uh, Uncle Will, I, you know, I'll, I'll see. You know, I said, I have my law degree, and, and I, you know, I practice. I, I can always go back to that, so. You so, still should get your, get your butt home and get a job. <laughs> I mean, and you've done a lot of things in your life. You you played you played football, didn't you? I think that yeah, was. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was uh, actually ended up being captain of the football team. At yeah, UConn. you did that. You were and in I the army. Letters, I had letters from the NFL for cool. the draft, actually. Ooh. Yeah, you're in the army, and then you you yeah. have a law degree. It's like yeah. you you you're one of those people that's just decided just to go and do everything that you can. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I did did my best. I, I wanted to get my pilot's license when I was in Germany, but I ended up I was so busy I, I couldn't because I would travel all around Germany and because I was requested on cases, so I would I actually didn't have ended up not having the time. But it's just as well, you know that uh, you know I've I've done what I've done now. I I I and luckily my family, my children and grandchildren are here in L.A. area, so I get a chance to see them and. And um, so, you know, my life is 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 wonderful, but it is, has not been without its challenges. You know, I I had colon cancer with the joys of chemotherapy in 2006. Actually, oh, wow. was uh, while I was the first year we were shooting uh, just Jordan. And uh, but, you know, the good the good news is I'm here talking to you guys. That reminds me of another voice actor who had colon cancer and he's still here. He's actually still acting as well. Uh, Rob Polson from the Animaniacs and um, just pretty much our childhood. He had, uh, he had throat cancer. Actually. Oh, throat cancer. Okay. Uh, well, guys, uh, I I gotta head out. I gotta direct somebody in about half an hour, so I gotta. Start okay, it was nice talking to you, Richie. Well, hey, thank you. Y'all have a good one. It was nice meeting yeah, okay. you, Bo. Uh, you yeah, nice meeting you. Him, so, Richie, before you go, can you tell people where you can find all your stuff at? If you want to check out all of the things that I do, I write and direct for original content as well as abridged parody stuff like uh, Log Horizon Abridged. That time I got abridged as a slime all on Fat Dog Studios. You can check that out. That is fat with a PH. And I also am working on original content called Infinity's Light, which we are trying to make a fully voiced and scored motion comic. And finally... I have a nerdy news show called Anime and Stuff that is currently streaming on Fat Dog Studios, but we're making our own channel for that. That's Anime and Stuff, like with an N. And yeah, I have my own gaming channel. 
who doesn't nowadays, right? But uh, <laughs> like Zoinks Gaming, it's called that because sometimes I will play scary video games and character is Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. And that's it. I'm sorry? You have any more questions? For, for which? For, for, for Bo. Okay, I'm sorry. The, the context was a little... Oh, sorry. Janky. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, hey, remember me? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Richie. Richie talks a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Um. So uh, yeah, I do have one. Uh, I've got I've one one more question. Sorry. Okay. Um, okay. Uh. So what would be what uh, what do you think would be a piece of advice you you that you could give to someone who um has an interest in voiceover and doesn't know quite know where to start? Well, I, I would suggest going to Steve Bloom's um, uh, the Bloom Box communities. Are you f- familiar with that? Um, uh, on only... Facebook, he has a group, and he t- he teaches. He he, he, he you know he, t- he you know you you learn voiceover, and so I would suggest that. And so study and learn, study and learn, get good at what you do, expand what you do, and then go for it. And and the way things are now, you can do it from home. So. That's a beautiful thing. When I first started my career, you know, you had to leave home and go to New York or go to Hollywood. I went to New York the first time and then I came to Hollywood the second time. Um, but um, now, you know, people can do it from home. So uh, practice your craft. And if you uh, want to be a, a narrator, uh, you know, read copy out loud magazines um, and listen to narrating. I've been, I, I, I narrated I've been a couple series. To on history channel. And so, um, if, if you, you know, to, to do everything in voiceover, you need to learn how to narrate. You maybe do audio books, although audio books is a real challenge. That's yeah. That's, I've been trying to get into the audio books and I haven't that's gotten any work, callbacks right? on that yet. It's rough work though. It's tedious. You, you talk it about talking all day and they change now so that you, you get paid for only the production, uh, the production, not for your time. Yeah, so there's there's some there's a website oh, I forgot what it's called. I use it where I submit uh, auditions. Uh, I haven't gotten anything, but they uh, they have two choices. Some some of the authors and publication companies that uses that site because it goes through Amazon and. Um, oh, you're referring uh, to uh, ACX. Yeah, ACX, where you some of them will give you the option of getting royalties, and those are usually the books that don't sell that well. And you, so you'll probably get twenty five cents per sale. No. Or uh, just a upfront payment. Oh, I see. Yeah. But I mean, you get it, it. You know, it's possible to actually, you know, get yourself out there. Uh, but the the first thing to do is to to uh, prepare, to study. You know, to um, um, as I say, I would recommend Steve's uh, Steve Bloom's uh, class. It's the uh, Bloom Box, B L U M V O X. Communities on on Facebook, and uh, so he has a whole program there where he will listen to you and 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 work with you on your um, on your voiceover, and and then as you mentioned, there are uh, different ways to submit your product too to audition. Yeah. So it's it's um uh, it's available oh. out there, and I say follow your dreams, but also, also I found a, I make I've, it a living. I also found a good way to you know practice is to have kids. And read to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> reading, no, it's true. But but they won't they won't I, tell you if you suck though until they reach the teenage years. <laughs> right. 
Well, they won't know if you suck when they're young. They just, you're, you're daddy, you know. So he, because <laughs> that, uh, bed, bedtime and and uh, bedtime stories was a big part of my life growing up as a child, and it was a big part of my life uh, as a parent. And and one of the things I would do would uh, I, you know, I'd voice the characters in as close as I could, I could do it, and I would make the sounds, you know, like if it's somebody riding on a horse, I would go. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be the horse, you know, and and you know whatever barnyard animals and you know just do all of that stuff, and the kids loved it, you know. They they, they mm-hmm. my, my 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 two loved it, and I loved it too. It was it was fun, and I didn't realize at some point uh, I might be doing voiceover as a you know as a as a part of my career. Oh, very good, very, very good. good. So I get, I, I don't know. Um, so I guess we've wasted enough of your time today. Uh, well, no, it wasn't oh, a waste of time. I love, I love waste. No, no, I'm joking. But I know we we should end soon. Yet. So um, we yeah, were I'm definitely. Like, my wife is uh, has some honeydews for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. yeah I get those. So done. do you have any upcoming projects that you want to you know tell people about? Well, you know everything. That that's not covered by an NDA. Yeah, everything is covered by the NBA, NBA <laughs> now. You you got to do them when you audition, even before you get the gig. You got to do that. But I did do a you know a commercial is coming. I have some commercials that are running and and uh, you know reruns of the Blob. You can always watch those someplace and <laughs> and uh, Halloween H two O and you know nice. just. Uh, but I do have some things coming up that I will talk about them when I may when I'm allowed to. Yeah. Okay. And where can we find you at besides uh, Instagram? Well, on Instagram, and do you have Instagram? Yes, I'm on Instagram. Uh, okay. And, uh, you know, I, I'm late to it, but I'm on Instagram and Twitter and, and, mm-hmm. and Facebook. And just Bo Billingsley, you know, yeah. no secret, no secret handles, just Bo Billingsley. <laughs> well, it was uh, it was nice talking to you, sir. It was my pleasure. That's a fantastic and, uh, uh, yeah. way to spend my afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed chatting with you all, and I loved hearing your stories as well. Okay. Hey, this will go down as the first time I ever did a podcast on the road. <laughs> you still on and the road? This is this will be the first. No, time no, I, I I made I made it back about an hour ago, but it, oh, it's okay. been doing. But you started. And this okay. is this is the first time you've been able to talk to Bo without uh, freaking out and going and hiding. True. <laughs> like Very last true. time. I, we weren't going to talk about that, Drew. Apparently, you were talking to his fiance, and he saw you, and he was he went and hid because he was so nervous. Oh, I hide! I was just across the room. <laughs> there wasn't anywhere to hide anyway. Uh, stop ruining! Stop ruining a good story. 